You talked about carbon sequestration. So if you could, for the listeners, define that as well as um, uh, climate change, just so we're all on the same page of what that what that means in our context right now. Yes, I feel like I'm, I'm in Dr. Martin's class and this is the exam. So we'll see how I do. <laughs> Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, my understanding is um, carbon is one of the building blocks of life. And so we find it um, all over um, in the earth. And soil is a really important sink of carbon. It's a really important place where carbon is. And there's actually, I think it's three times as much carbon in soil as there is in the atmosphere. And so if you think about, you know, pre-colonial times, there was a, a lot of carbon in the soil and we had a balanced carbon cycle. So we didn't have a, a greenhouse gas problem at that time because we had some carbon in soil and we didn't have too much of it in the atmosphere. And so... um Carbon in the soil, it's stored in in aggregates. So, you know, you sort of imagine the soil as, you know, teeming with life, this really dynamic ecosystem. And the carbon that stays in the soil for a long time is bound up with, with minerals in the soil. And the really heavy plowing with equipment called moldboard plows that happened in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and even throughout the 1900s in this country, and then ended up being exported around the world, that actually overturned the soil and disrupted these complex soil ecosystems such that these aggregates, these kind of like tightly bound soil communities that had carbon in them were burst open and the carbon was released to the atmosphere. Now, this isn't the only reason, of course, that we have a carbon dioxide problem. Our energy system is a huge problem and the burning of fossil fuels in our energy system is a huge part of why we have you know, too much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But but part of it comes from this problem of having released carbon from soils. And so um, plants, when they do photosynthesis, just their kind of basic life process where they take in energy, they're actually drawing carbon out of the atmosphere. And if you think about what ecosystems look like in, in a natural state, you know, so maybe agriculture isn't being practiced or maybe it's being practiced by indigenous people or, or folks who are really tightly connected into land, you see more plants like all the time on the ground, right? So think about like Midwestern industrial agriculture, you'll see bare fields in the winter. In a natural ecosystem, you would never see that. And right. so right. soil carbon sequestration is the idea of pulling some of that soil back down from the atmosphere by keeping plant roots in the ground all year round. So that might mean having a a cover crop in the winter, just a soil building crop, not something you're going to harvest for for food or for other purposes, but but just to to feed the soil, so to speak, to keep those roots, you know, feeding carbon into the soil. It might look like having perennial plants, which by definition keep their roots in the ground all year round. And then there's also ways to directly apply carbon to soil. Compost is very carbon rich, mulch is very carbon rich. And so you know, as you were saying, Dr. Martin, as a as a gardener, a backyard gardener, a community gardener, these are things you can engage with in your own community. Um, and, and if you practice agriculture for a living, these are things that you can build into your farming plan. And then all of us as eaters, you know, can sort of start asking questions about this and, um, you know, supporting folks who grow food in these ways. You know, I just had a th- Liz, thank you so much for defining that for us and for our listeners. That is very much appreciated. I was just thinking about when you said the, the, the loss of carbon. I wonder, and I think I had this question later on, but just thinking about the loss of carbon, how does that impact the nutrients that we're receiving 
from us as eaters, right? If we're not, you know, at all maximizing the, you know, the amount of carbon that would have been there had we not done the actions that we've done over the past hundreds of years. And so you don't have to answer that. It was just something that came to mind um, as you were talking. I'm super curious about that too. And actually there's, there's a fellow named Dan Kittredge. Um, I, I'm blanking on the name of his organization, something about bionutrients, Bionutrient mm-hmm. Association or something along those lines. I, I think he's in the Northeast, but um, we're both going to be speaking at a conference this fall. And a number of folks have told me to check out his work because these are kind of emerging questions, I think, for the um, nutritional science community, which is mm-hmm. used to kind of studying things in isolation. The, the complexity of the question you're asking, Akilah, has been very difficult, I think, for nutritional sciences to kind of get their minds around when you think of like a very biodiverse garden with multiple plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. then you're also talking about like diverse landscapes and all of that. But I think Dan Kittredge has started to get at this and start to try to um, – you know, quantify and define through science something that I think a lot of people have understood through practice for a long time, which is that mm-hmm. if you're not putting the nutrients into the soil, if you're not putting them back into the soil, how on earth are they going to get into the plant and then into the person's body? Right. Outside of the, you know, the supplements that we take that we really have no clue what's in those. Yeah. I mean, yeah. something that really interests me is the whole arena of of plant defense, how mm. plants actually protect themselves against, um, you know, diseases mm. and predators. And in an agroecological garden, um, you know, meaning one that you're not using um, chemical fertilizer or chemical herbicide, but you are uh, fertilizing the plants with compost or cover crops, Um Plants are are sort of actively using their own sort of natural defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. and um, those correspond really directly to things that we do have terms for in science, like antioxidants or secondary metabolites. And there's a really clear, strong connection with mm-hmm. practices of herbalism and even sort of culinary practices that center on flavor. And that flavor is also coming from those secondary metabolites. And so that's very interesting to me how we as humans sort of draw on the um defense mechanisms of our evolutionary ancestors in the plant kingdom to then sort of fortify our bodies um, as we go through life and, you know, are confronting disease or other kinds of challenges. 